Today, we're continuing on in our series through the gospel of Mark. And, and this has been a really cool opportunity, as I said before, to, to just walk through the life of Jesus, to see these moments in his life that, that he literally experienced, uh, that he literally went through. And, and it's a really cool opportunity. And one of the things when you do a series like this is you get to slow down on some of the passages that if you're just reading by yourself, you'd probably kind of skip over pretty quickly, but you get to slow down and dig into it. Uh, but we also have the opportunity to, to hear some very well-known passages. And today is one of those times. Today we're hearing about the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And this is just a very well-known story. I mean, you cannot even be a Christian and know about this story. That's how well-known it is. But one of the problems with uh, these stories and these miracles that we become very familiar with is we start to boil them down into one concept. And, and most of the time when we're talking about a story with a miracle, that one concept is, is that this story, this miracle proclaims that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. And that's good and that's true and that's totally part of it. But I truly believe that there's more depth there and there's, there's so much more when you find it in the context of what's happening and what Jesus is doing and the reality of how people are experiencing this miracle together. So I'm super excited to jump in this passage today. We're actually going to be in Mark chapter six. We're gonna start in verse 30 and we're gonna head all the way through verse 44. So let's go to the text. Verse 30, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And he said to him, shall we go and, and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them to all sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. God, we just come before you and we thank you for your word. I thank you for this story that we have, one that we're very familiar with and the fact that it does proclaim that you are Lord. But God, I ask right now that, that through the other parts of the story, through the lead up, through the context, through all the, the aspects of the story, Lord, that you would reveal something new about yourself. That every person that is hearing these words that you're already working in their life and you would, you would meet a need, you would answer a question 
you would clarify something that's been cloudy for them, God. We, you, you say that your scripture never comes back void, and we trust in that. So we come to you today, and we trust that you're going to do a mighty work through this passage and through what you have for each of us. So I want to give a little bit of context to, to what's going on. Last week, we heard, we heard this crazy story, right, from Grant, and, and it was the story of Herod and, and, and this party that he had, and, and it was this crazy party, right? And there was dancing and eating and drinking and all these different things, and, and the story seemed so weird and kind of out of place because the, the week before, we actually saw that Jesus sends out his disciples, and this is when he gives them apostolic authority, when he sends them out and he says, go, and, and, and you have authority to, to cast out unclean spirits and, and to speak with wisdom and with truth. And he sends them out in groups. And it's this really crazy time that they go out. And then you have this crazy story of Herod. And now we have them reconvening together and coming back together. And we see in verse 30, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So we see after they went out and they went out into these cities that they came back and they, they're giving an account for all the things that happened. And I imagine some of them are like excited to tell Jesus of these, these crazy things. Some of them might have had a little bit of trepidation because they weren't sure how things went or had some questions. And, and you could imagine this dialogue that they're having. And Jesus is hearing about their experiences and hearing about these moments and hearing about all the amazing things that God did through them. But Jesus is doing something else. Jesus is seeing his disciples. He sees the exhaustion on their face from the ministry that they were just doing. And he, he does something about it. We see here the beginning of a theme and this theme is when Jesus advocates for his disciples. And it's this beautiful theme that we'll see throughout the rest of this passage. And it's setting up a bigger picture. It's setting up a bigger reality as we move forward. In verse 33, it says, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot all from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And, and one of the things I love about this is that it says that many saw them. Usually in passages, we see crowds and they see Jesus and they're drawn to Jesus and they go to Jesus. And that's a really, really common thing. But they said they saw them. They saw the disciples and they're like, hey, that was the guy in my community. That was the guy that healed my niece. That was the guy that was speaking with authority in a way that I hadn't heard before. And, and so the boat must not have been too far out because they could see them. And it must have been going pretty slow if these guys are just booking it ahead of them to this crazy place. And they meet them in this desolate place. And I was thinking to myself, what draws people out of their lives, out of their responsibilities, out of their families to go meet Jesus in a desolate place? And so far, Mark, we see two main things that draw people, that draw the crowds, and that's uh, miracles, and then healing, and then it's also teaching. And it doesn't seem like healing in, in the context of the story is the reason that they're going out. So we must assume it's teaching. But, but then again, I realize, and this is the hard thing with scripture sometimes, we have to realize our context, right? 
that, that I live in a modern world in, in a Western culture in, in California, in Southern California. So my, my view of teaching might be different than we're seeing here. Because for me, my initial thought of teaching is, okay, someone or something's giving me information. I need to retain that long enough to regurgitate it through a test, maybe a paper, maybe a speech. And that's about the sum total of teaching. And for all the teachers out there that you know that teaching is way bigger than that. But I was thinking, what is it? What type of teaching removes people from their status quo, from the rhythms of life and, and draws them into the wilderness? And the answer comes in the next verse. It says in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. And this is a profound and important thing because to have compassion on someone means that you see them and you see their struggle and that struggle that they're going through moves you. You allow that to seep into your heart. And the very act of having compassion in and of itself draws people to you. And then he gives an illustration of why he had compassion on them. And he gives this illustration of, of these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And so I was looking up some of the roles of a shepherd and, and what that looks like and what that means. And, and there's so many of them for everything from shearing them to keeping them clean, all those different types of things. But the main roles of a shepherd is to protect the flock, to make sure they have food and water and ultimately to be present with the sheep. And so Jesus looks ashore when he's coming onto the shore and he sees all these people and, and he has compassion because he sees a bunch of people who are vulnerable. A bunch of people who are starving and not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And he sees a bunch of people that feel alone, that have been trying their best, but just are at the end of their rope and they don't know how to make it. And, and we see this compassion comes from Jesus to where before he saw his disciples, and he advocated for them, you need rest. And now he sees these people and he advocates for them. He steps into his role as shepherd over them. And in verse 35, it says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the, the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. And so we see this transition that Jesus saw his disciples and Jesus saw the crowd. And now the disciples are seeing a problem, right? The disciples are seeing this tension that, that there's all these people and they've been sitting there all day listening to the teachings of Jesus. And, and, and at some point they're gonna need to eat and, and they're running out of time. They need to be able to feed their families and take care of themselves. So, so they go to Jesus and and it's an important part of the story, important part of the progression where you see it's not just Jesus seeing, but now it's the disciples seeing. And so they go, they, they wanna advocate for them. So they go to Jesus and, and they go to him and say, hey, they need to go get something to eat. But Jesus's response is, is interesting. In th verse 37, it says, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to all of them? Now I wanna put some, some reality in this because when we read scripture, we kind of do it in a monotone, right? 
But if you realize this thing, like these disciples, they're, they're exhausted at this point. And they thought they were gonna go have like a boys retreat in the desert, right? And now they're listening to teaching and serving thousands of people. And, and 200 denarii, that's about equivalent to a year's worth of wages. So for one, they probably didn't have that on them. And two, even if they did, by the time they gathered enough bread for everyone, it would have been the next day. So they're saying, Jesus, what are you saying? This is a problem. We gave you a solution and you're telling us to do something about it when, when the means and the resource we have pale in comparison to what's going on. And Jesus said in verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And this is a really important part. This is the crux of this passage. That, that Jesus is, is addressing one of the biggest tensions that the disciples will face and, and the soon-to-be apostles will face even after he leaves. And this is a tension that transcends their experience in this moment through culture, through continents, through time, through empires, all the way to us now. It's a tension that I imagine every person who's hearing this has felt. And that tension is that you see something wrong. Like, that's wrong. That's not okay. I don't like what's happening there. And because it pulls you, because it draws you, your immediate question to yourself is, what can I do? And your immediate answer after that is, all I have is this. It's like you see someone experiencing homelessness and you're, and you're like, what, what can I do? And, and you, want to, you want to advocate for their humanity. You want to take care of them in the situation. You, you're frustrated by the structure that led them to that situation. And all these things go through your mind and you're like, all I have is five bucks. Or you see a family starting to, starting to fall apart and you see it through the kids and you see some tension in the marriage and, and you're like, and you know it and you see it, but, but you have a meeting in 20 minutes and you don't really have time. Or you see someone that just lost a member of their family, and you don't know them well, but you feel drawn to support them, to care for them, but you don't even have their phone number. The best you can do is contact them on Messenger via Facebook, right? Like, like this is a tension we all experience. But I do want to draw our attention to one thing real quick, and that's that we, as children of God, we as people who are made in the image of God, we'll have different things that we see and we experience and, and we're bothered by and we're drawn to. And the reason that I say this is because there's becoming this trend where we start to get frustrated and it's been a source of division where I see this person experiencing homelessness and, and this other person sees someone, some, some family that's really struggling and we feel like they don't care. Or they're turning a blind eye to what I'm passionate about because they aren't feeling the same way as me, because they aren't seeing the same way as me. And, and I want to clarify this because there's a reason that's happening. God created us all uniquely and individually. And, and that's for a reason, because this process of being part of the body of Christ is that we're to do it together that it's a beautiful thing that this person wants to advocate for a family and this person wants to mourn with someone and you want to deal with these structures of reality that are causing people harm. And, and we need to see that and we need to not allow that to be a source of division for each other. Because we see this tension 
And, and, and this is a narrative that we have in our life and it's a narrative that we see over and over. And, and my thought is that it will always be a narrative if we view it in that way. But Jesus clarifies in these couple quick statements that it's not a narrative, it's a dialogue. And it goes like this. Me, I, that's not okay. I, I don't like what's happening there. That, that shouldn't be happening. Jesus, do something about it. Me, what, what am I supposed to do? Jesus, lean into it. Me, what, what am I supposed to do? I have nothing. What am I supposed to do? Jesus, what do you have? Me, all I have is five dollars. All I have got is, is 20 minutes. I really got to go. All I have is, is, is them on my messenger. Jesus, I can work with that. And, and I want us to pause for a second in this moment because I know this is a reality because I know we've all experienced this. And I want to encourage us next time we run into that to have that dialogue, to truly say, what am I supposed to do? and to truly go to Jesus with what you have. Don't hype it up, don't bring it down, be honest. All I have is five bucks. And trust that God is at work. We go on to the next verses in verse 39, it says, and then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. So they all sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And this is a little bit of an aside, but, but Mark put it in here and I think it's important. Is, is this reality that Jesus broke them into groups. And, and there's, there's a very practical reason he could have done this. It's easier to give a group of 50 people the right amount of bread and fish than it is to just throw it into a crowd and hope it gets to everyone. So maybe that's the reason. And I'm not saying that these verses advocate for a doctrine of, uh, of small groups or a theology of small groups for church or anything like that. But I was thinking of what happened when Jesus did this, when he broke them into groups. And I was thinking of being at a concert. And if you've ever been at a concert, probably pre-COVID, right? You're, you're surrounded by so many people and like crowded in. And even though you're crowded by all these people, there's this weird feeling that you can feel like completely alone. <laughs> and maybe more so because the people are around. But, but say you're in that setting, say that's happening. And for some reason, uh, someone from the stage calls out and says to break into groups. One of the things I realized whenever I've broken students up into groups or I've been in a big setting and they're like, break up into groups, the first thing that happens is you start to talk to people in your group. Your, your focus becomes off of the stage, off of the activity, off of the entertainment, and it becomes on the people in your immediate vicinity, the people who have been declared to be part of your group. And I think that there's value there. I think that there's something to consider. And, and when I take that thought into what the early church looked like and what, what the church is supposed to be like, I think fleshed out, there's some actual real value there. But I think at times we can get caught up in, in, in attending and in going and in, in participating in the things that we feel like we're supposed to do and miss some of the opportunities that are around us. In verse 41, and I'm gonna take these last verses 
a verse at the time as we wrap it up. In verse 41, it says, taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and blessing and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And now we get to the miracle. And now we get to this miraculous thing that happened. The whole story was leading up to this moment. And we see this progression of Jesus seeing his disciples and advocating for them, seeing this crowd of people and stepping into his role as shepherd in their life, that the disciples saw a problem and Jesus is teaching them how to advocate, teaching them how to step into their roles. And now we see Jesus looking up to heaven as he breaks these loaves And it's this declaration that God is at work. And and I want to clarify that because I think at times we can really legitimately get caught up in saying, I only have 20 minutes. That's a real thing, God. Like that's all I got. And I know it's not enough. And, And when we say that, what we're forgetting sometimes is God is at work. That God is doing something. And this progression that I was talking about from Jesus seeing and advocating to seeing and stepping into his role to the disciples, stepping into their role, is there's this progression, this new thing that's happening. And that new thing is the kingdom of God on earth. That this is how the kingdom of God functions. And and if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the kingdom being like a mustard seed, right? And And the mustard plant provided a few things. It provided shelter, it provided a place to rest, and it provided belonging. And this is what the kingdom of God is about. And I think about the reality of of this moment and the reality of the early church. And I think about the reality of the church now. And the purpose of the church now is not just to commit to the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines of life, like like prayer or commit to reading scripture or commit to communion or commit to uh, singing songs of worship together. Those things are important and vital and necessary to someone who's following after Jesus. But the role of the church is to present the kingdom of God, to experience the kingdom of God. And it seems like over and over and over that the way that you experience that is to take your eyes off the stage, take your eyes off of, off of what's going on in the programming and consider the people that God has placed in your path. And that's twofold. One, you get to experience the kingdom of God through another person. But two, they get to experience the kingdom of God through you. Verse 42 says, and they all ate and were satisfied. And This is just such a stark contrast to to the passage that Grant had last week. Last week, there was this party and the party was defined by people eating and eating until they were sick and getting sick and then eating some more and, and drinking until they couldn't stand up and drinking some more and dancing and hanging out. And there was this, this revolving door of consumption and there was no end point. It was, it was almost like, see how long you could last and just consuming and consuming and enjoying and, and doing all these things. And in direct contrast to that, you have this moment. 
that thousands of people standing in the field were satisfied. It's this word that, that gives the, the connotation of completion or they were whole. That there was a need and that need has been filled. It's not this revolving door, this, this moving target. It, it's a sense of being whole. And it's not just the physical need as we see that Jesus is the shepherd. And, and what does that mean? He's protecting. And we know what protection looks like ultimately and that's the sacrifice, right? When danger comes, you don't run away and hope the sheep are gonna be good. You step in between. And then providing food and water, true tangible sustenance that Jesus is sustaining us. And finally, the presence. And I think that this might be one of the most important things of all, that the sheep, when they look up from grazing, when they look up from water, they see their shepherd and it gives them the confidence to relax. It gives them the confidence to look back down and eat because they know someone is looking out for them. And we see this progression of not only what Jesus is doing and not only what the disciples are doing, but what the church is called to do. And that's to step into these roles as shepherds in the people's lives that have been placed around us. And it's a cool thing we get to do. It's amazing that we get to participate in other people experiencing the kingdom of God. But it takes some effort. It takes us looking up from our reality, looking up from all the things we have going on. And I don't wanna belittle that, especially in the season that we're currently in, that just to make it through the day is, is almost overwhelming in and of itself. And so when we see something and we're walking through our day, it's really true. We might be drawn and we see this thing that we're like, that's unfair, that's unjust, that's not right. But we have no capacity to do anything about it. I would encourage us to pause again in those moments and be really honest with what we do have. Because I truly believe that when we bring that to Jesus, he will say, I can work with that. I can do something with that. And the last couple of verses are, and they took the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And just to clarify, if there was 5,000 men there, chances are there was some family and wives and children and, and other people that were involved. It could be upwards of 15,000 people around. And, and I think they put this passage in there with the excess to kind of just combat. I think Jesus knew that there would be some snarky like Bible college student that would be like, well, professor, do you think they could have just cut the fish up into really small pieces and they were satisfied because they were good people. And it was just like, you know, they were making it clear like, no, God is at work. There's a miracle happening here. But I want to clarify something. The miracle that happened here wasn't that Jesus took a little bit of food and made a lot of food. We minimize what's happening here when we think that the miracle is uh, the multiplication of food so that people could eat. The miracle of what's happening here is the kingdom of God, which sustains us, which protects us, which, which gives us sustenance and not just physical, tangible sustenance, but spiritual, emotional, relational, all mental it gives us sustenance in every way. 
But then as well, it gives us a sense of belonging. It gets us a sense of community. It makes us realize that we actually aren't in this by ourselves. One of the things that really struck me with this is that at least Mark didn't put it in here. Mark has no response from the crowd. He, he gives us no response from the crowd. And, and that has an implication. The implication is that there's a possibility that the only people who knew about this miracle happening was Jesus and the disciples. And that doesn't sound like too big of a deal, uh, but, but I always had this context of miracles and, and it was a really simple context. And it was miracles are for glorifying God, right? Miracles simply bring glory to God. So a miracle is gonna bring glory to Jesus and that's the point of it. And, and if people, and maybe it's not, maybe people knew, but if people really didn't know what was going on here, there's a profound statement that's being made that we see it and we can read it and we can glorify God for what he's done. But in that moment, for those people sitting on the grass, that miracle wasn't for Jesus, it was for them. It was to give them hope. It was to let them realize that God is active, not in just giving them bread, not just in heaven, he'll take care of them hypothetically, but he is active in every aspect of their life. And so I wanna wrap with this idea. All these people who gathered, Jesus split them up into small groups. The natural reality is these groups are probably little communities, people from the same town. Think of what happens after hours of Jesus teaching and he puts a pause on it and then allows the community that they were already a part of to talk. Did you hear him say this? Yeah, total, that, that totally makes sense in light of, and, and they're discussing these things and they're mutually encouraging one another and how beautiful of a picture that is. And I wanna encourage us with this, that we too have that opportunity. That we individually, yes, being called by God to, to, to notice things that maybe other people wouldn't notice, but, but even more than that, that we as a church have an opportunity to see one another to encourage one another, to allow other people to experience the kingdom of God through our presence. And I think that that's a big deal. And I think that that is the miracle that's being presented here. So with that, I wanna give you a little bit of time right now. A little bit of time, there's gonna be a moment that you can put something in the chat, but. A, but even as you're doing that, there'll be a little bit of time to do that. So even as it goes to that moment, I want you to pause for a second. And I want you to first think of one of those moments in your life that God, that, that you were pulled towards, that you saw something and you're like, this isn't right, this isn't okay. But you felt so ill-equipped to do anything about it. Not for guilt purposes, not for anything else other than going through that dialogue with God. And now I wanna give you a little bit of time to, to write in the chat, what's something that stuck out to you? Because I believe this, it's not my preparation, it's not how I speak, it's not me standing on the stage, but I believe that the spirit works through the word of God. So I believe that God's already working in your life. So, so I wanna give you a little bit of time to say, hey, this stood out to me. Maybe I had this question. This was really, really important to me today. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of time to do that now. 